Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! What up, guys? Hey, um, last man challenge of the semester. Give it up for yourselves. Yeah. It's been a, been a great time. We have looked at the life of, of Solomon. We have broken it down. It's been a, it's been a treat. Um, I don't know about you guys, but breaks are good. But too much of a break in my world can be, um, it can be dangerous, okay? So we're going to have a two-week break. And then what we're hoping that you guys will do is come back May 12th at 6.30. And what we're going to do is this summer, we're going to look at spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts. 1986, August the 20th, 1986, Michael Jordan scored 63 points for the, uh, against the Boston Celtics. That was a fantastic accomplishment. But after he scored 63 points, they interviewed John Paxson after the game. And they said, what was it like to play in a game with Michael Jordan scoring 63 points? He said, it was a fantastic thing. Michael Jordan and I combined for 67 points. <laughs> Man, that, as I think about that, a lot of my life, I feel like John Paxson. And the thing about a team is you need everyone. And guys, as we look at spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts are given... Um, horizontally, where they lean on each other, and therefore the body is built up. Spiritual gifts are not giving vertically. And so everyone in this room has a gift that's been given by God. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend four weeks, and we're going to talk about that. I've been on staff for four months, and um, one of the things that keeps uh, um, reoccurring uh, is a statement that says taking your next step of faith. And I don't care if you've been a believer for uh, a week or decades. We always continue to take a next step of faith. We got a guy that we're going we're gonna to bring on. I've been on staff for four months, and, and for four months I've heard this, this guy's name a, a lot. And you would think, like, somebody says, is it in a, in a negative way? Like, oh, man, you're going to hear this guy's name again? No, it's been a really, really great thing for me to keep hearing this guy's name because your name precedes you, hopefully. This guy's doing incredible things. I mean, I'm, I'm asking him to come out right now. Why don't he come on out now? You guys give it up for Mason Bramer. Hey, fellas. Yeah. Good to see you. It's great to see you, man. I, catch us up with what's going on in your world. Yeah, so we, um, my, my last day here was maybe 1st of October of 2021. We moved two weeks later to Ottawa, Canada to take a, a position as a pastor of men at a church called Metropolitan Bible Church up there in Ottawa. A month after that, we had a little girl, our second kiddo. Um, yeah, yeah, thank you. That. We, yeah, we named her Ronnie Cordray. She's beautiful. Uh, it was cold and dark for, whatever, four months, and then we just visited home. <laughs> so uh, that, is, that is where we are now, yeah. How has being here at Southeast Men's Ministry 
and especially just in the context of a man's challenge. Mm. What have you taken to where you're at now? How has that encouraged you? Um, I, a lot. Um, it's encouraged me in many ways. I think kind of at the broad level where there are lots of guys in this room who I miss and love and uh, cherish relationships with, but even, you know, looking at my little crew back here who I sat with for, for years, um, the, the group of guys who got to know me in authentic, vulnerable male relationships. Um, Canadians are even a little bit slower than, than us down here in the South to, to open up and to be honest. And so it kind of senses, feels like progress can be slow at times. But what I think I've found, and I said, you know, probably even specifically from guys like Ronnie Cordray, Sam Reeder, is just when you, when you care for someone <laughs> in Christ, when you are calling them out in their sin, but also encouraging them in their growth. Uh, when I know a man cares for me, there's some amount of safety to where I can trust the Lord, take steps of faith in him, and grow from that. And I'm seeing there, you know, I can't show up and flip on a light switch that says, men's ministry exists here at this new church. It is slow relational care, pushing men's eyes towards their savior and watching him do the work in the meantime. And I learned all of that in this room, essentially, over, over the context of, of five years. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Mm. Well, man, just, just the love that, that this room and, and we have for you, um, I'd really like to know, what, what can we be praying for you as a group? Yeah. Um, personally, I think just that the Lord would continue to affirm us there. Uh, we, we were not looking to move away. This is where I grew up. My family's here. You know, we have a kiddo. Buddies are here. So to go, um, you know, some of you all remember that was a, was a decision, a step of faith we took. Uh, and I, I think it's also a decision every day, right? Being up there is I can either live there and, and wish I was here and invest in relationships here or really let some roots sink in and invest there. So I think prayer for the confidence and courage in the Lord and affirmations from him to be where we are and to minister where we are. Um, and I think for the ministry, like, there are a lot of men who don't have this. Like th this would astound men in that room and even in the small group level to have legitimate friendships where their sins are known and not just accepted and you know wiped away, but but taken to the foot of the cross week in and week out and not just on Thursday mornings but in texts and emails and stuff um, I believe and I hope many of you all believe that we need that and so helping men see that praying that the Lord would uh, let it fall on soil that uh, allows for that type of growth that we've seen here yeah. mm. well man I just want to publicly thank you for leaving 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 a mark leaving mm. a mark for Christ living your life in such a way um, that, that people want to follow the God that you serve. Yeah. And so, man, I, I want to thank you for that. I'm going to ask, Sa Sam Reader is going to be our speaker, but I'm going to ask Sam to come out. Gosh, it's paradise. Amazing. I didn't know that walkout music was happening, man. Um, <laughs> we're going to ask Sam if he would, um, he, we would pray over Mason. So if you would join us and let's pray for our brother. Father God, thank you for this man. Uh, thank you for the family that he leads and represents. Thank you for his wife, his son, his daughter. Um, God, thank you for the faithfulness of the Bramer family, both here and now actively in another country. Lord, I pray that you will empower him to be faithful, to be holy, um, to be honest and true. Would he be faithful to Susan and to his children and, and live out his faith at home? Father, I pray that you will affirm them 
both he and Susan both, that you would affirm that you have called them there, that you will spirit empower and strengthen them to endure, especially on the tough days when ministry is heavy and hard and burdensome. Would you encourage them and give them your joy and your peace spirit? Would you help them to endure and to carry on? Uh, and would you help them to just experience tremendous joy as they have stepped out in faith and continue to do so uh, in obedience to you and hope that uh, your gospel would be spread to those who don't yet know it and that men who don't know what it is to have authentic male relationships would experience and develop those for their good and your glory. Thank you for our brother. Thank you that we got to see him this morning, the encouragement that that is to us. I pray that we would be an encouragement to him. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Love you, brother. Well, our speaker today, uh, Sam Reeder, if you don't know Sam, you're, you're missing out. Okay, you, you are missing out. One thing I encourage you to do is get to know this guy right here. One of the things that I want to read is what his wife, Jessica, said. She said, lately I can see Jesus transforming Sam and serving others. Hmm. He already had a servant's heart previously, but I've really seen it amplified as of late, and he does it with joy. Now, I think we can all agree we're watching this brother work that God's got his hand on. Let's give it up for Sam Reeder. Thanks, guys. Morning, men. It is good to be with you as we close out the spring semester. It's been a good one, I think. Uh, and as we wrap up what's been a rather lengthy character study, if you've been tracking with us the past 10 weeks, we have been studying the life of Solomon, which is perhaps the longest character study we have ever done that I'm aware of. Uh, and you might ask, why would we spend 10 weeks studying anyone other than Jesus? And that's a fair question. My hope is that today as we walk through our passage, the answer that, to that would become just abundantly clear. Uh, we spent 10 weeks looking at Solomon. So we, we started in 1 Kings. It was a book in the Old Testament where his dad, David, passed the torch, as it were, to his son. And we saw that early on he was very faithful to the Lord. And the Lord uh, rewarded that faithfulness and granted him tremendous wisdom. And as a leader, he thrived. And in, in light of that great wisdom that he had, uh, he wrote down a lot of things and inspired a lot of things that are kind of bound and uh, recorded and kept and referred to as often wisdom literature. So we stepped out of 1 Kings, we looked at Proverbs, we looked at Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon. We jumped back to 1 Kings, and if we had been looking at kind of the ascent or the rise of Solomon and the peak of his reign, we started the past couple weeks to see his fall. So a couple weeks ago, we saw that as he was building his palace alongside the temple, the house of the Lord, he spent twice as long building his own house as he did the Lord. And that was somewhat telling that his heart as he aged was starting to kind of turn and focus more on his own kingdom. And then last week, we saw a text, Daniel pointed this out, uh, that his heart as he aged started to become more focused and fixated on his many foreign wives had like 700 wives, 300 concubine, had a thousand women on call. And so Daniel pointed out that early in 1 Kings 3, it said that early on his heart was set on pleasing the Lord. And then later it was set on pleasing these foreign women who brought in foreign gods and suddenly pagan worship and idolatry crept into the kingdom of Israel. And from there, the Lord responded appropriately, removed his hand of blessing and provision and the reign of Solomon came quickly to an end and the nation was destroyed. Very, 
very high highs, very low lows. So again, why would we spend so long looking at that? Well, I hope we'll answer that this morning. Uh, but before we do, I'd like to play a quick game with you guys, if that's cool. It's 6.13, why not, right? So we're gonna play a quick game, just to kind of get our creative juices flowing, and this game is called Which is Greater? Uh, the points don't matter, the rules are made up, maybe you've heard of these types of games. Uh, we're gonna have three rounds, you're gonna have two options, you pick which one is greater, straightforward. You get points, at the end, whoever has the most wins. That's how games work, right? So round one, which is greater, dogs or cats? That's right, dogs. There are some cat guys. I've got one at my table. He's not here today, conveniently. Uh, but yeah, I'm a dog guy. We have two yellow labs. That is not one of them. Uh, but yeah, dog guy. If you are a dog guy, give yourself a thousand points. Um, if you're a cat guy, you're probably into independency anyway, so give yourself however many points you want. Uh, round number two. Coffee or Red Bull? And before you answer, real quick, I'm using Red Bull more as like a placeholder, as a image bearer for all canned uh, energy drinks. So are you a coffee guy or a canned energy drink guy? See, this is timely for this, this time of morning. I personally am actually a both and. Uh, I like coffee real early, then by the time you get to work, maybe crack a can. Uh, and then, where's my man JR? If you get into punch energy chews, if you get all three, that's like the holy trinity of caffeination. Uh, so if, you, if you're in the coffee, especially if you drink it black, they say that's real healthy. There's uh, 150 points for you, Burke. And uh, if you're into canned beverages, just for being bold this morning, we'll say 2,000 points. Points don't matter, that's, that's the point. So round three, final round. Uh, which is greater, baseball or football? And I kind of thought we could get E. Wood and Burke up here and just leg wrestle and we'll just settle this once and for all. But uh, yeah, for me, I am actually a football guy. I have successfully won a few fantasy leagues, even went back to back on them one year. So yeah, I'm a football guy. Uh, if you're a football guy, 12 points. If you're a baseball guy, Burke's got some fluorescent orange t-shirts out in the lobby waiting on you. I can't verify that, but it would be cool if he did. Um, and so like these are, these are silly, right? Uh, but what's funny is you don't really have to think to answer them, it's just kind of instinctual. When you have to assign greater worth to one thing over another, most of us don't even have to think about it most of the time because our value system informs our decisions and our value systems are rooted in our beliefs. And again, we don't usually have to even think about it. So to go back to round two, uh, this is silly, but where the, the waters get muddied is when our beliefs or our value systems are in conflict with another person. So personally, I don't like what this does to my teeth or my breath, and I think this tastes better. Therefore, I would say this is greater. My wife believes there are things in this that might not be good for my uh, overall health, so I value peace with my wife over drinking Red Bull, so I no longer drink Red Bull. Well, not that often, but I no longer drink Red Bull, I mostly drink coffee. Uh, and that's, that's an easy compromise, but when we get to matters of greater importance, oftentimes when people assign greater value to something or someone than you do, and we're in conflict with one another, the, the situation can get a little tense. Welcome to one of the major themes of Matthew chapter 12. 
that's where we're going to be at today. So if we spent all this time hopping around the Old Testament, now we're going to jump finally one last time to the New. So if you will, open up your Bibles to Matthew 12, or if you use the Bible app, open up to that. And today we actually only have one verse assigned to us. It's verse 42. And so in theory, we could finish really quickly and get out of here. But if you know me, that's not what we're going to do. I think we have 41 verses to catch up on. So we have a context for what's going on in verse 42. So very quickly, as you're turning there, I'll kind of catch you up. Uh, the, The stage is set. It's a Sabbath day. So you might think for us, it would be like a Sunday morning. It's a Sabbath day. Jesus, the disciples, and and he are walking through a wheat field. They're hungry. They pick some heads of wheat off. They eat it. Gross. And uh, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, view that as someone infringing upon their belief system, their value system, and they don't like it. Also on a Sabbath, a man with a withered hand comes to Jesus. Jesus heals him. And again, the religious leaders don't like that. That's infringing upon their value system. You're not supposed to do work on the Sabbath. I think being obedient to that is greater than healing a man with a withered hand. So they oppose Jesus. Then a man who is demon-possessed and it's causing him to be uh, blind and mute, Jesus heals him, which should be like an awesome moment. But now his, his opposition cranks it up to 11 and they say, this guy isn't from God, he's from the devil. That's how he has authority over demons. He must work for the devil. So now they're accusing Jesus of not being from God, but from the devil. So Jesus returns their charges to them and says, you all are the evil ones. There is a day of judgment coming where you will be held accountable for every word that you speak. Oof. Think of that one. A day of judgment where we're held accountable for every word we have ever spoken. That kind of makes my skin crawl. And he warns them that it is from the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks and a day of judgment is coming. That's our context. That's basically verses one through 37. So we'll pick it up, if you will, in verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And, and that's not really like, hey, come and see. Really think about that. He had just done some major miracles and then they said he was from the devil. And then they say, okay, well, if you are from God, why don't you do a trick, like prove it. So catch how insincere they're being there in that verse. And you can kind of catch the tone of that and how Jesus responds to him. Verse 39, but he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. So they said, you're evil, you're from the devil. And he says, no, you're the evil ones. He returns their charge to them. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So very quickly, uh, we're not gonna spend a ton of time there on Jonah. We did a whole series on Jonah. Uh, If you didn't hear that, go back a couple semesters and, and we've got all that recorded for you. But I'll keep it brief. Nineveh that he mentions is the city that was the capital of Assyria, one of their greatest enemies, uh, a place known for brutal violence. Jonah didn't want to go there. God made him. He went there, preached a really short, really lame sermon, and the whole town repented. The whole town responded in faith. 
And Jesus is talking to the religious leaders of his day who are opposing him, saying he's not from God. And he's saying, you know, even the people of Nineveh at the day of judgment, they'll stand and testify against you. They would stand to condemn you because they heard and they responded in faith. They repented. That's the story of Jonah. But next, Jesus goes on. And this is our verse today. Verse 42. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Just a real quick plug for Bible literacy. Jesus doesn't go on to say, in case you don't know who the queen of the south is, in case you don't know who Solomon is, let me just expand what I mean here. He continues moving. The story goes on. So, of course, he was talking to religious leaders and teachers. So it it is right to assume that they would know their Bibles. But how important is it for us Westerners in 2022 to know about who the queen of the south is, who Solomon was, to know about his wisdom? Men, we have to know our Bibles. If all scripture is God-breathed, then we've got to study all of it. I personally don't run to Proverbs or Ecclesiastes in my quiet time. So it is good for us to go to places that we otherwise wouldn't. That's why we spent so long studying at such depths the story of Solomon. But Jesus says, uh, this queen of the south will rise up at the judgment. So if you were here last week, Daniel Montgomery touched on this. He mentioned that in 1 Kings, there's a story where, kind of still at the peak of Solomon's reign, this queen from a lot of... Folks think it was Ethiopia, but to the known world around the Mediterranean, it was about the southernmost place you could go. She traveled a tremendous distance to come hear this really wise guy she had heard a ton about. She traveled all the way up. He was tested in every way. He passed them all with flying colors. He was impressive. She gave him gifts, gave him money, praised him, recognized that the Lord's favor was upon him, that he had tremendous wisdom. She also responded in faith traveled a great distance and catch like that contrast that everywhere Jesus goes no matter what he does he's met with opposition accusation slandering yet people traveled from all over to come to Solomon and just throw money at him and to praise him it's kind of ironic so Jesus says this queen of the south will rise up at the day of judgment and condemn this so much like the people of Nineveh they responded in faith So here's what I want to do. In our time today, as we kind of unpack verse 42, I want to think about this through the lens of the scribes and the Pharisees. I want to think about, as I believe they thought, what what is it like if Solomon really is greater than Jesus? Let's think about the implications of that. Then I want to flip that and say, well, if Jesus is greater than Solomon, how is that? How is that true? And then our third and final turn is what we'll do at our tables. You're going to have to turn inwardly and ask, truthfully, What do I believe? Do I believe that Jesus is greater than Solomon? And if so, much like Nineveh and the queen of the south, would my life at the day of judgment stand to testify, to affirm, or to condemn what I'm claiming to believe? Make sense? That's what we're going to do. Okay, so first off, through the lens of the scribes and Pharisees, I think they probably believed Solomon was greater. Here's why. This happens in the first century, Matthew 12. And in the first century, Israel isn't a nation state that owns their own territory. They are occupied by Rome. And so there's been hundreds and hundreds of years of prophecy 
that this coming Messiah, the promised one of God, this son of David is going to come, who's going to fulfill uh, the promises of God. He's going to redeem and restore the, 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 the country, the, the people, the nation state of Israel to their former glory. He's going to establish a rule and a reign that will be eternal. He'll put his enemies under, their foot, under his feet. And so that's why constantly in the first century, we see this in the gospels, they are looking for the Messiah and they're expecting him to be a military leader, to be a politician, to start an uprising and a rebellion. You see a few scenes where Jesus is in a crowd and they think, oh, this is the Messiah. And they try to force him to be king because they're, they're like, let's start this revolution. And Jesus is like, you all don't understand how this works. This is also why when Jesus says, you know, the son of man has to go and suffer and die. And Peter's like, that doesn't make sense. Like our, our king, our ruler, our captain can't suffer and die. Like you're supposed to lead this rebellion. We're going to take over. We're going to reestablish our land. Jesus like, you all don't understand. So there's this confusion. There's this tension. There's this, this longing for this ruler to show up to take them back to their glory days. And when they heard the word Solomon, boy, that was the glory days. Because in the days of Solomon, Israel was at the peak, the very peak. So a couple verses, and I'd love if you guys would make note of these so that you can kind of reflect on them. 1 Kings 10.27 says that in Solomon's day, silver was as common as stones and cedar as plentiful uh, as sycamore fig trees in the foothills, which that language kind of gets lost on us. But essentially, think of this. Uh, during COVID, uh, lumber became rather scarce. And when you did find it, it was overpriced. This guy cornered the market on lumber. He had so much money that the streets just full of chunks of silver. It was like gravel roads filled with silver. <laughs> so he had all the money. He could buy Twitter anytime he wanted. He could buy Facebook, all of them. So in Solomon's day, resources were plentiful. People weren't crying and complaining about the nation debt. Things were good from a resources standpoint. First Kings 4 says that Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were over 1,000. So he was this wise sage. I mean, I wrote a few papers in school, but nothing like 3,000. He was this wise sage. He was an artist, a musician, a poet, 1,000 songs. He spoke of trees and plants and beasts and birds and reptiles and fish. So he had all the degrees, all the letters at the end of his name. He was a, a botanist, a zoologist, a biologist, a chemist. He had all the degrees. So their leader is the smartest dude around, knows everything about everything, a walking encyclopedia, Ken Jennings. Plus, he's got all the resources. And then there's the temple. In Solomon's day, the temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And I think it's, it's hard for us to kind of appreciate that. We are in a pretty nice facility right now, and a stone's throw that direction is a really nice facility. But to get a, to get a grasp on this, at, at the fall of the kingdom, the temple's destroyed. They rebuild it. And in Jesus' day, that's the temple they have. That, around 70 AD, gets destroyed again. At the rebuilding of the temple... A lot of that is recorded for us in Old Testament books called Ezra and Nehemiah. There's this huge, long project where they're rebuilding the wall, the temple, their city. They're trying to get back from having been off in exile. And when they finally complete it, like there's this big party. They're all excited and all the young people are like, we're finally back. We made it. We rose from the ashes. And then it's like the camera angle goes wide and you see the elders and they're weeping and they're wailing 
because they're saying, if you think this is nice, this is a cheap knockoff to the former glory of how good it was. I bet it really was something to behold. So they had the temple. So from a religious standpoint, the temple of Solomon was the best that it ever was. So they hear Solomon, they think of that. Their borders were primarily peaceful. Who would want to pick a fight with the smartest dude in the world, you know? They had peace on all, all, all borders. Their nation boundaries were the most expansive they ever were. They had the temple, they had the resources, they had it all. He had every reason to be the one that they hoped for. Yet we saw in the story of Solomon, it didn't pan out that way. So everything was going for him, but I want you guys to catch this, that the very things that Solomon was revered for were the things that robbed him of his allegiance to God. If you're taking notes, think about that. The very things that Solomon was revered for were the things that robbed him of his allegiance to God. The same guy who said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, ultimately, eventually, traded the fear of the Lord for the fear of man. He traded wisdom for a life of folly, and he spent the latter part of his life in pursuit of sensuality, wealth, power, how quickly good gifts become corrupt idols. And the same trap, the same thing, I think is true of us. I mean, how often does that happen, that good things become corrupt idols for us? And Jesus warns those who oppose him, those who deny that he is from God, and he says there will be a day of judgment where our lives and those around us will either stand to testify or to condemn. That's not an attempt for me to make this a fire and brimstone kind of deal. I'm looking at our text and that's what I see Jesus saying to those who doubt him. And so maybe this morning that will serve as smelling salts for some of us. Because if we have fallen into some of the same traps that Solomon fell into, we need to wake up. So like Solomon, who was so occupied building his palace, if, if, if you are so busy building your dream house right now, and don't mishear me, there's nothing wrong with having a dream house, there's nothing wrong with, with, with spending a lot of time building a house, but if you're so focused on building your house that you have lost a value and a taste for the house of the Lord and the meeting of his people, then brother, wake up. If you are so busy in pursuit of sensuality, if you're so busy chasing tail, whether it's on a screen or in real life, that you no longer are pursuing or even desiring intimacy with God, brother, repent, turn from that. If you're so busy accumulating wealth, building the portfolio, establishing your power, your reign, your clout, that you don't treasure Jesus anymore, my encouragement would be run to his mercy seat, run to his throne of grace because Jesus is greater. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about how Jesus is greater. He says something greater than Solomon is here. So let's consider how that might be true. A couple of verses I'd like you guys to make note of. John 1, 3, all things... All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. John says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the word. All things were made through him. 
and without him was not anything made that was made. Romans 11, for from him and through him and to him are all things. From him, for him, to him, by him, in him, it's all his. It all belongs to Jesus. So if we are to look at how Jesus compares to Solomon, and even that in itself, uh, when Jesus compares himself to a man, that is a moment of really gracious condescension. And when we hear condescending, we don't like that word often because there's so many negative connotations with it. Your, my, your wife or, or friend might say something sharp to you and you may respond, hey, don't be condescending to me. That sounded kind of condescending. I don't like that. But think about this. We serve a transcendent God, a God who speaks in galaxies or form, a God who is infinite, timeless, and not bound by the things of this world. I can't comprehend that. If I'm going to know him or understand him, he's going to have to come down to my level. In the same way that I go down to the level of my two-year-old to communicate to him in a way that he would understand, God graciously did, continues to do, and will condescend to our level to communicate to us in a way that we might understand and know him, which is a gracious act. So when Jesus says he's greater than Solomon, that's not him puffing his chest, that's really gracious humility that he would do that. And so when we, when we consider that Solomon had so much silver and lumber, that he had all the resources, that sounds good, but really silver is what? Like a rock, a mineral that's rare and precious. Do you know that all the rocks belong to Jesus? All the trees, all the plants. Do you know he made all of them and they're all sustained by him, through him, and they're all for him? So Solomon may have had a lot of money in his day. Jesus owns all of it. Think of that. From him, through him, and to him. How much greater is Jesus? Colossians 2 and also in a number of places in 1 Corinthians, we're told essentially that Jesus is the wisdom of God made flesh. He is wisdom incarnate. In him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So Solomon was praised. He had 3,000 proverbs and 1,000 songs, and that's impressive, really. But think if, if, if one of our worship pastors here writes a really catchy worship song, and we all sing it together, who's greater? The guy who put together a simple chord progression and some lyrics, or the one to whom the whole congregation sings and gives praise? Who's greater? Jesus is the sum and substance of every song, of every proverb. He is the wisdom of God made flesh. Solomon may have had a lot of degrees and known a lot about trees and plants and beasts and reptiles and birds and fish. <laughs> Jesus approached some professional fishermen who hadn't caught anything all night. And he said, hey, why don't you let down your nets on the other side and see what happens? And they caught so many fish that what happened? The boat's sinking almost. He takes a couple fish and a couple loaves of bread and he somehow multiplies it to feed thousands of people. Solomon may have had a degree in fish. He may have known a lot about fish. Jesus has authority over the animals. Solomon knew a lot about nature, trees, and plants. Jesus spoke to the wind. He rebuked a storm and it obeyed him. <laughs> the wind obeys Jesus. He walks on water. Who's greater? Solomon may have known a lot about it. Jesus commands it. He has authority over it. And then there's the temple. 
I'm sure it was really impressive, honestly. Sometimes you, you, you might, uh, YouTube has a lot of videos on it or you can just Google it. There, there's people who take the rather lengthy text describing all the intricate details of how the temple was made and they've kind of reconfigured it in a 3D rendering and you can see it and it's not really my style, but it is impressive nonetheless. And if you think about the work that went into it, like the pyramids or the, the Colosseum, any great big famous building, um, I'm sure it was impressive, but essentially the temple was a housing for the presence of God. And at the death of Jesus, the barrier that separated the presence of God from the people of God, that great curtain of the Holy Holies, was destroyed. So at the death of Jesus, the presence of God and the people of God, the barrier between them was destroyed. And in our text, Matthew 12, if you turn back to that and look up at verse 6, Jesus tells them, something greater than the temple is here. It's statements like that that really led his opposition to want to kill him because they didn't like those things. It infringed on their value system. But Jesus, in humility, gracious humility, was letting them in on a huge secret, on a big revelation. He's greater than even the temple. Again, at his death, the barrier between the presence of God and the people of God was destroyed. But catch this. At the death of Solomon, do you know what happened? The nation was essentially ripped apart. There was this huge power grab, who would, who would rule and reign in his stead. The nation splits into a northern and a southern kingdom. The northern gets conquered and hauled off into exile by Assyria. The southern eventually gets conquered and hauled off into exile by Babylon. Doesn't play out well. So at the death of Solomon, the people of God are divided and exiled. But catch this, at the death of Jesus, the people of God are united and brought out of exile back to God. Do you see that? It gets better. Jesus didn't stay dead. <laughs> That's what we just celebrated at Easter. Three days later, he rose again. And Matthew 28 tells us that because of that, all power and authority was given to him. Solomon may have had an expansive territory, but Jesus was given all power and authority. And also catch this, he's not just sitting around now counting all of his silver and all of his lumber. Romans 8 says that he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. He has gone ahead of us to prepare a place for us. Solomon was busy building his palace. Jesus has gone ahead of us to prepare a place for us. How much better is Jesus? So Revelation 5.12 kind of summarizes this for us. And it says, uh, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessings. And at Jesus's return, every tribe, tongue, and nation will declare that Jesus is greater because he was, he is, he always will be. So to kind of bring this home for us, um, regardless of your individual value system, regardless of what camp you were, if you were Team Dog or Cat or Red Bull or Coffee or whatever, whether you're Team Jesus or not, according to this text and what he has revealed to us about himself through the Bible, we don't get the, the option to assign worth to Jesus. He is preeminent. He is infinitely worthy. He is matchless. He is unequal. He is supreme. 
We don't decide his worth. He's the king of kings and Lord of lords. But here's what's cool. In his kingdom, he assigns us worth. Think of that. He welcomes us. The king of king and Lord of lords welcomes us into his kingdom, and he calls us friend, calls us brother. We are adopted into his family. How good of a deal is that? How much greater is that? So here's what I'll say to the various groups of men who are likely in the room. Um, if you don't identify as being a follower of Jesus and you're on the fence about this whole deal, to you I would encourage you to repent and believe because simply Jesus is greater. One of our favorite Robin quotes is that the only reason something worth something is worth believing is because it's true. That's why I say this confidently. He's greater. So if you don't know him as your Lord, I would encourage you, talk about that at your tables. Mention that to the men and let them know like where you land on this and why you're wrestling with it. And let's walk together with each other because in time you will see he is greater because he is. If you're a man in this room who is a professing believer and follower of Jesus, who maybe like Solomon has gotten distracted, who has gotten sidetracked, chasing the wrong things, and suddenly worshiping false gods and false idols, and you're pouring your life, your resources, you are worshiping at a different altar, to you I would say, brother, repent and believe because Jesus is greater. Run to his throne of grace. And to those who, who would agree and affirm that Jesus is greater and are striving to live this out, to you I would say rejoice and be glad. Like not every teaching and lesson has to end with us dragging sin out. We are always gonna continue to be sanctified, but there should be times that we rejoice and sing and celebrate because we serve a God who is greater. Jesus was, he is, and he always will be greater. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the revelation of your son through your word. Thank you that we can go to it in spirit, that you make it clear that you are who you say you are. Thank you that you are greater. Thank you that your grace is greater than every failure and mistake uh, that we have ever caused and ever will fall into. I pray, Spirit, that you would guide conversations today at these tables, that men would be honest and vulnerable about things that they're doubting and wrestling with and having trouble to believe. I pray that um, where sin needs to be convicted, that you would do it. And I pray that men like the Queen of the South and like the people of Nineveh, I pray that the men in this room will respond in faith. And God, I pray that you would just give us eyes to see. Thank you for the life and story of Solomon that helps us to know and appreciate how much greater you are. We need a plumb line to measure from, and in using Solomon's, we see that you are infinitely worthy of praise. Help us to do that in a way that is for our good, but results in giving you glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.